Welcome to the Intelligent Investing Podcast, where modern portfolio theory can suck it. A student of the school of Graham and Doddsville and a clergy member of the Church of Warren Buffett, here's your host, Eric Schlein. Hi, it's Eric Schlein. You are listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast. In today's episode, I wanted to address, I don't know if he wants me to make his name public, so I'm just for all intents and purposes, going to leave his name out of it. But he is a, an investment manager. I believe he used to own Trupanian stock and he had sold and did a blog post about it and whatever. But he had emailed me a while back. I, I didn't see the email until recently. He actually emailed me three times. I felt like a dick not responding. But I thought it'd be cool to actually respond to him publicly. It was a rebuttal on Trupanian. I'll just read the email he sent to me. He goes, hi, Eric, I come in peace as a Chester County native who still very much prefers Wawa over Sheets despite living in Pittsburgh. You seem very open to hearing counterpoints. I am. As per your podcast on Trupanion, so I wanted to give you some things to chew on. He goes, you made two points and I'll summarize. Number one, it is justifiable to exclude development expenses from IRR. And number two, there are no accounting shenanigans going on. So he goes, I would love then to hear your thoughts on the following. Let's first level set with IRR methodology. The company allocates fixed expenses between subscription and other based on their relative revenue contributions. This includes a prorated allocation of GNA expenses. So let's get into GNA expenses. What's in there? Typical back office stuff, finance, accounting, et cetera. But also a couple million bucks of rental income related to subleasing of the company HQ per their 2019 10K. The change was primarily due to a 3.1 million increase in compensation expenses, a 0.8 million dollar increase in professional service fees, and a 1.5 million dollar increase in depreciation expense, mainly due to owning our office home building since August 18, 18, partially offset by a total of 2.6 million in savings from additional lease income and less rental expense. The rental income has the effect of reducing reported, for example, it's net against expenses, which is true. So my first question for you is follows. Number one, if you firmly believe development expenses that aren't related to acquiring new pets are justifiably excluded from IRR calculations, how are you comfortable with several million dollars of sublease income that's clearly not related to acquiring a subscription pets benefiting IRR. So that was his first question. I'll get back to that in a second, but I just want to read the whole email to you first. Uh, so next up is their pet food and VIE, also from the 10K. The company has also entered into a series of agreements to provide ancillary services to the variable interest entity. It costs it. So by the way, guys, VIE stands for variable interest entity. The company provided 1.2 million and 1.4 million of these services for the years and 20, uh, December 31st, 2020, 2019, respectively, which were recorded against operating expenses. So Trupanion provides back office support to the variable interest entity and reduces its reported OPEX to account for the compensation for providing the services. So the next question he wants to know is the same as the first, would you bucket this in line with development expenses as being rightly excluded from IRR? Are you okay with the company getting the tailwind from the expense reduction? So then he goes, now here's where the situation becomes a bit more nefarious. The VIE has received a total of $9.5 million of funding from Trupanion, including $7 million of preferred capital and two and a half million from a line of credit. Think for a minute about what's going on here. The company pushed $9.5 million of cash down to another legal entity 
and now reduces its reported OPEX for services provided to the VIE. With the payments being made with money true paying used to finance the VIE, um, money coming out of pocket and right into the other, um, which sounds really scary the way he emails me about this. And then the third question is, do you think this is an accounting shenanigan? Lastly, management knows PAC is getting out of hand and pulled a fast one in the first quarter. This is about last year. To make it look like they've got things under control, are you the slightest but curious how they're going to hold PAC at $280 for the balance of this year in an increasingly competitive environment? Management casually slipped in the following comment. We expect stock-based compensation to be around $6.7 million per quarter for the remainder of the year. A uh, couple with $8.4 million of SBC already booked in uh, Q121. Japanian is on track to recognize $20 million of SBC expense in 2021. Putting this figure into perspective, it is three times higher than last year's $8.9 million of total recognized SBC expense. And last year, SBC expense was 1.8% of revenue. This year will be 4.1%. So then he goes, what does SBC have to do with PAC and IRR? For the pur- purpose of calculating PAC, management includes SBC because it's non-cash by upping the portion paid in the form of equity management is artificially reducing the level of pack incorporated in their IRR calculation. In Q121, fully loaded pack, including SBC, was $328 of pet, representing a 22, 22.4% uh, year-over-year growth. SBC embedded in sales and marketing was $40 of pet, leaps and bounds above historical levels, which is $20 of pet. Had SBC been more in line with historical level, pack would have been 310 much closer to the full year I was expecting. This is all a long-winded way of saying if you would run the company's IRR calc with PAC of 315 or above, there's absolutely no way they would be within the boundaries of the self-imposed 30 to 40%. Target range, the only reason they'll print those numbers within range this year is a result of their increased use of SBC in compensating their employees. The tables below illustrates restricted stock grants, not expenses, but grants. The grants in the most recent quarter big jump, jump off the page and explain why SBC will be elevated in the quarters to come. But don't take my word from it. From what I can tell, we both respect Warren Buffett a lot. And here's what he got to say on the topic, quote, I have no objection to the granting of the options. Companies should use whatever form of compensation best motivates employees, whether this be cash bonuses, trips to Y, restrict stock grants or stock options. But aside from options, every other item of value given to employees is recorded as an expense. When it comes to SBC, RSUs are a functional cash equivalent. There is no legitimate justification to exclude this related expense from any measure of profitability gap or otherwise. Perhaps using RSUs makes sense for the time being, given the extreme overvaluation of Trepanion. Management can handsomely compensate employees and gloss over the dilutive impact of the company's financials. But what happens when the stock is back at 30, but territory partners are expecting their compensation to remain flat in nominal terms? Shareholders will either be number one, massively diluted, or two, the company will have to lean more heavily on cash compensation. The latter of the two options is a functional non-starter at the current uh, juncture, given the company's persistently negative cash flow. And then last question, do you believe SBC is a true expense? If it is, should the company be included, including it in its IRR calculation? Just hold on one second. The management updated guidance, and frankly, I think the financial outlook is worse than I was expecting. Adjusted operating income. I know this is a battleground stock. Don't expect everyone to come around, but I also think, number one, 
there's only one set of correct answers to the questions I've laid out above. Number two, none of the affirmation points are dumb. And three, management is using sleight of hand and paint a picture of the company that is out of step with reality. As someone who puts a lot of value on associating with the right people, I certainly don't appreciate the game shenanigans that Daryl and the team are pulling. There's a few things about that. I actually wanted to address the second question first. So he says in the email, I'm just go back up to this top right here. Since you're that's fine. So he goes, so Trupanion provides back office support to the variable interest entity and reduces its report opex to account for the compensation for providing the services. Sounds really scary. So that assumption he is making is actually not correct. So there is one answer to that, to, to the question. What you're saying is not true. He's assuming this is all included in the IRR calculation that Trepanion provides to the investor. It's not provided in the IRR calculation. There's zero impact to the PL. So basically the way it works is this. Let's say if Trepanion hires an accountant to close their books on the VIE, Trepanion pays that cost and then they would be then reimbursed for the services. And that's actually what the disclosures do say. It's not the disclosure for all intents and purposes is worded a little bit confusing, but that's actually what the disclosure is saying. So that makes the entire third point of his email completely irrelevant. And then in terms of the building, so this is a very long email. I'm actually do this very briefly in answering it because it, it actually is not that complicated. So the thing with the building, they incur all the costs from the building. So why would they exclude that, that income? Uh, they did not buy it as an investment property. They actually bought it to occupy the building. But over time, they're occupying more and more of that building. So that rental income is a declining number as they occupy more of the building. When it comes to SBC or share-based compensation, so SBC is not a given. They are very clear and transparent what amount has been incurred and can clearly tie that to the performance-based plan. So they're very transparent about that. They're not hiding anything. They exclude it from their metrics because it's not tied to the specific quarter. So if you reflect in the metrics, it's not a very good picture of how the core business was performing. In their model, though, they do account for dilution when accounting for intrinsic value. So one area where I would agree and where Tropanian agrees, and this is actually something they have changed, is if there is a particular stock grant, it should be included in the IRR. Absolutely. Now, they were not including it before. That has changed. They do now include that. The reason they were not including it before is years ago, it was not a meaningful, but now they include it as more employees have chosen to take performance-based stock. Now, he wrote me this very long email with faulty assumptions and things he was confused about. All he would have had to do was call up Daryl or call up the management, suppose accusing them of stuff, just ask them these questions and they could walk him through all of this. So that's the answer to that to the long-winded email. There's no accounting shenanigans. They're very open, very transparent. And if you're a shareholder, I would encourage you, if there's things you're confused about, or when they're, when Daryl is writing those letters or anything they're reporting to shareholders, they're really trying to report in a way that they try to look at the business themselves. Where I've seen this before too is with Brookfield Asset Management. People for years have been complaining that Bruce Flatt, who runs Brookfield, is a very disingenuous with the way he looks at the valuation and people say, oh, he's being too, too aggressive with the numbers. But that's literally, he talks about, that's the internal numbers they use for the management and they share them and are open with that with the shareholders. Again, these numbers and the way they're looking at things is literally how they look at the business themselves. And if you had any questions for the management, 
They're very willing to take calls from shareholders and they do appreciate feedback. So for example, I did reach out to Drupanian and say that disclosure was very confusing and, and was worded in a way that could lead people to think the opposite. And they agreed with me and they said, that's actually really good feedback. And that's something we need to work on and we'll change that up. They have changed things over time when they go, oh, that's dumb of us or that's so not everyone's perfect and they're open to feedback. And also I appreciate this email. Again, if there's anything that I'm saying that you think is totally BS, I like, I like the dialogue. What I don't like, and I liked the way he emailed me this and was very respectful. What I don't like is when I post something on Twitter, Twitter is very nasty. I, I get, I even think about, I think about whether I should even be doing Twitter anymore because there's so much benefit I get from it. But then what was the comment? Oh, I remember. I made a recent thing about Charlie Munger, who I love. He's a big, he's a big role model of mine. I freaking love Charlie Munger. I love, love Charlie. I, I spent over, I not over, I spent probably close to an hour with him on the phone. I don't know how many years ago it was now. It was like 2013, 2014. And we, I'm not going to say what we talked about, but we had an amazing conversation. And the... The th thing with Charlie, which I've never discussed this with him, but I don't, I don't know the guy really. When I say really, I don't know the guy. But when it comes to his mental models, there's a big thing in the value investing community of, oh, if I just read about a lot of principles and mental models, it'll benefit my life. And the problem is that principles, it's become a fad to read about principles. But if you look at now, I would say principles are more impactful than just like tactics and techniques. If you have a foundational principle behind something, it makes you more grounded. However, reading about principles doesn't make as you're limiting the difference you'll make in your life. So you could say that even above principles, right, there's, there's distinctions. You can actually make a distinction around something through an inquiry and then discover a principle yourself. And distinct, if you want to distinguish distinction, dis making a distinction is uncollapsing two things and you're having an inquiry into what something is not. So for, for example, one distinction would be distinguishing the five stages of culture in tribal leadership. Or in uh, Landmark, there's another ontological program. One of the distinctions is that there's a million of them, but like the, you're already always listening. And it's a way of listening that impacts the way you see yourself, see the world. And it, it actually clouds your judgment and impacts your logic systems. So if you don't actually make that distinction, no amount of principles will actually impact that logic system. That logic system is based off a way of listening that you're blind to. So it would be another example, an easier example. This is because this is, these are abstractions that discussing them don't really make much difference. You have to experience it. Here's a great example. If you are blind, you cannot see, and you are trying to discover you know, principles in the world, and you were not even aware that you couldn't see, right? Being blind, you weren't even aware that you had this thing called blindness. It was just, that's the way it is. So you could read about as many principles in Braille that you want. However, when you can distinguish eyesight and then you have access to eyesight, not explained it to you, not read about, but you've experienced eyesight, all these new things become available. Your logic system changes. 
the way you relate to the world changes, which then, and you'll discover new principles about reality that you never saw before. So basically, the only, the, what I was saying is that just making an inquiry and distinguishing something, discovering principles through that is, more, is much, not even much more. It's like a game changer. It's not even close how much more powerful that is than just reading about principles. I think the stereotypical thing in the value investing community is like people who read about like relationships and communication. Dude, that's not how you gain access to more powerful relationships and communication by reading about it. I'm sorry. And then these people 10 years later, they've read 20, 30, 40 books on the subject and they're just as socially awkward as they were before. Uh, but now they're covering it up with lots of tactics and techniques and principles. But I made the idea on uh, the argument on Twitter, not the argument, it's just the observation that inquiry through just making distinction is much more powerful than just reading about principles alone. And that's something that kind of people bastardize Charlie's work. And it threatened people, it very much threatened people, which this stuff tends to. And someone's response was like, who hurt you when you were younger? It was like, dude, come on, really? That's your response? And it, it just got so nasty and toxic, that thread. I just deleted it because I don't even want to associate with this kind of conversation. And I saw that, again, in my communities, I'm so used to having these very intellectual and just high-level conversations on this kind of, these kinds of topics. And on Twitter, just degraded to people getting threatened and people getting upset. And so anyway, I don't know the answer about Twitter, but it's really wonderful in a lot of ways. And then it gets very toxic and, and people try to throw all kinds of nasty stuff at people on there. So anyway, that's my thoughts on Twitter. And uh, yeah, with Trupanion, again, it's, it, it, to me, it's actually a pretty simple thing. I just encourage people to actually go talk to management if you have, if you have questions or things seem off to you or reach out to me and then we can have a conversation. Anyway, thank you for listening and I'll see you on the next episode. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast with Eric Schlein. If you'd like to connect with Eric for questions, comments, feedback, ideas, or to inquire about being on the show, please contact Eric at intelligentinvesting at gmail.com. So in the words of Charlie Munger, I have nothing to add.